0: Hello readers, my name is Jason Jeffries and this is Bookin' brought to you by Quail Ridge Books, Raleigh, North Carolina's trusted community bookstore. My guest today is Nathan Ballengrude, winner of the Shirley Jackson Award and nominee for the Bram Stoker Award, the World Fantasy Award, and the British Fantasy Award. He is the author of the collection North American Lake Monsters and, most recently, of Wounds, Six Stories from the Border of Hell, published by Saga Press, a division of Simon and Schuster. Nathan, welcome to the program. Thanks. Happy to be here. The first question I want to ask you, Nathan, is about your signature in my copy of Wounds. Um, I received this book in the mail, and it was signed to Jason, Hail Satan, Nathan (laughs) Ballingrud. And Nathan, I'm a collector of books, and I have many signed books, and this is the first one that has been signed, Hail Satan. Uh, why do you think this is? Am I just running in the wrong circles?
1: Well, you probably are, if you haven't had that yet. But uh, it's it's relevant to uh, a few of the stories in the in the uh, book. One in particular, uh, especially, deals with a couple of satanic cults. So, I felt it was appropriate.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Excellent. Thanks, Nathan. Um, my next question for you is about the acknowledgements section of your book, where you've written a very heartfelt message to your father. What did your father mean to you in your writing career?
1: Well, he, uh, he's the reason I think that um, books are so important to me. He, I, my earliest memories of him are him telling me stories, bedtime stories at night, things he'd make up, uh, stories in which I was the little five-year-old me was the star. And uh, I would go on adventures on top of a horse named Prince. I think, remember, we went to the moon, things like this. And, uh, and he was a journalist, uh, so writing was very important to him. Stories were important to him. And uh, it kind of infused itself into me.
0: Thank you so much, Nathan. Um, my next question is about the quote at the beginning of your book, which is a quote from Mike Magnola's Hellboy series. Uh, do you read many comics? I do. I love comics. And what are some of your favorites?
1: Well, Hellboy, definitely. Um, uh, Hellblazer uh, is fantastic. Uh, oh, man, there's so many. <clears throat> I love the uh, the EC comics, the whole the whole aesthetic that comes with them, and in fact, a lot of this book is kind of a, an homage to that aesthetic. Um, let's see, uh, Harrow County is one that I'm reading recently; is is fantastic. The uh, Sandman was probably what got me into it many years ago. The Black Science by Rick Remender is fantastic. Uh, Swamp Thing, Alan Moore's run, is. Foundational.
0: Excellent. Thank you so much. And listeners, you know, for the North Carolina Book Festival, we partner with the North Carolina Comic Con. So please come out and pick some of these up. Um, Nathan, let's talk about Wounds Six Stories from the Border of Hell. Uh, Speaking of comics, um, I have a three year old son who is a different superhero every day uh, when he wakes up. And it's gotten me back into some of the comics I read when I was growing up. And right before I started reading this book, I was reading the very early Ghost Rider comics, which are heavy on the satanic references. So I was in the right headspace to jump into Wounds. Uh, The first story, the table setter, if you will, is the Atlas of Hell. And um, this is my favorite story in the book of six very strong stories. I feel like it is very appropriately placed in the book. Uh, The story opens like a gangster movie, but the sort of demonic vibes are there right from the start. Uh, can you tell us a bit about this story?
1: Yeah, first let me say I'm delighted that you referenced Ghost Rider, who is yeah. like <laughs> of the superheroes, my favorite, and it's my dream to someday get a crack at writing that character. Nice. Um, yeah, Atlas of Hell was, uh, was uh, when I sat down to write it, I had previously written uh, most of the stories I had written were very sort of they were character driven, not plot driven. Um, and that's that, that tends to be my my that's my default mode. But I I got kind of tired of writing those kinds of stories for all. I wanted to try something new, and I wanted to try to write a story that was all engine is how I thought of it. You know, just everything is just meant to propel it forward. And uh, I had been reading a lot of uh, Richard Parker at the time, the uh, the, the Stark novels, um, and so I had that sort of. Uh, my that's the space my head was in. And and I just wanted to write a story like that, but with a protagonist it was uh, sort of counterintuitive to that kind of story. Uh the protagonist of that story is this big heavy set guy. He's 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 is kind of a coward. Uh so what he does he does essentially out of fear throughout throughout the story. And uh yeah, I just I wanted to I wanted to write about gangsters and the swamp and and satanic material and just
0: and have fun excellent thank you so much if anyone from marvel comics is listening nathan (laughs) would like a crack at Ghost Rider. let's make that happen um nathan there are a couple of things in the story that recur throughout the other five there are the monks uh the atlas of hell itself and something that is swimming in the water can you tell us about these uh recurring uh, parts of your stories and where they come from
1: yeah the uh um that kind of evolved organically. I didn't think at the beginning I was going to be doing, interweaving the stories that much. And uh, There are only two that are like very explicitly related to each other, and that's the first story, the Atlas of Hell, and the last story, which is called the Butcher's Table. And there's an event that happens at the end of the last story which ties into the beginning of the first story. Besides that, the, uh, the connections are all kind of, they're more... Uh, They're more just me having fun than they are, you know, explicit plot relationships. Um, But I liked the idea of, you know, the idea of hell kind of like sits the center of all these stories. And the idea of hell is, in this, for this book, it's kind of, uh, the conceit is it's where love comes from. You know, the idea is that love is not something that's necessarily uh, benign in nature, but is kind of this thing that, steers us towards these sort of deranged and dark paths you know as often as much as as often as a good path or sometimes maybe even more so uh and so using that sort of that kind of seed idea that kind of influenced how i wrote a lot of the stories and the the the, uh the black iron monks are uh for the purposes of the narrative they are a, a sect of monks that exist on hell's border and they're cartographers they 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 map the terrain and uh and they, they play a kind of a, a background role in the first story, and they become a little bit more significant in the in the last story, the Butcher's Table. It was just fun playing with those toys. You know, it was uh, the swamp monsters, the uh, the monks, the. Uh, it was like I said before. It was like kind of like calling back towards the comic book aesthetic, which is something I was, very consciously drawing from, uh, when I wrote a lot of these stories. I just wanted to. I don't know. I wanted to have the. Uh, to allow myself the freedom that i think my favorite comic writers do
0: excellent thank you the circle of hell very Dantean. listeners we are going to take a break for a word from our sponsor and i will be right back with nathan ballengrude the book and podcast is sponsored by libro fm audiobooks libro fm lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore whale well ridge books you can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks including new york times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country with libro.fm you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there you know the name but you'll be part of a much different story one that supports community Listeners of Bookin' can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter Bookin, B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I'm back with Nathan Ballingrude, author of Wounds, Six Stories from the Border of Hell, published by Saga Press, a division of Simon & Schuster. Nathan, uh, the second story, uh, The Diabolist, am I pronouncing
1: that correctly? I think so. I've seen, it, I've seen it a few different ways.
0: Yeah, well, one of the ways, The Diabolist. Uh, this harkens to another comic for me, The Immortal Hulk, which was published after this story. And um, The Immortal Hulk, listeners, is probably the best horror comic series going, in my opinion. Um, what is The Diabolist, Nathan, and what can you tell us about this story?
1: Well, uh, The Diabolist in this story is that, you know, it's somebody who... Uh, Either studies or 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 engages in some way with 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 the devil or devils plural. Uh, In this case, it was uh, explicitly the diabolist is the father of the story's protagonist, which is a young teenage girl. Uh, He just expired. She finds herself alone in a house that the the two of them had lived lived you know by themselves with. uh, with her dead father, and uh, and uh, something that he managed to trap in his laboratory downstairs, and uh, it's an imp from hell, and she goes down there and she talks to it. The imp has been kind of disembodied; uh, its consciousness is contained in this big vat full of uh, this kind of plasmic gel or fluid or something. And uh, you know, by engaging with it, we, uh, we she's trying to process dealing with her dead dad. And the thing itself is trying to understand, you know, the world has kind of moved into, uh, and it's trying to figure out what love is. It's a, this is the story where they explicitly talk about love being a product of hell. There's, there's a, you know, this is the whole, this is what this creature has been engaged in producing all this time, and now it's in the world, and trying to figure out what it really means.
0: Thank you so much, Nathan. Moving on, let's talk about Skull Pocket. Uh, Skull Pocket is a game, um, where kids kick around an old skull until it explodes and then they are forced to eat what is inside. Am I getting that right?
1: Yeah, that's the game. It plays a very small role in the story itself, but but uh, yes, that's it.
0: Yeah, and I want to highlight a passage uh, from Skull Pocket that begins on page 76. And that passage is, On the night of the cold water fair 100 years ago, the ghouls under the hill had reached the end of their age. Ghoul society unlike yours, recognizes when its pinnacle is behind it. Um, I found this passage to be very interesting, Nathan. Can you talk about it a little?
1: The, the idea of the story is that uh, these ghoul children leave their home at the night, that, un, unbeknownst to them, at the same night that the, the home is going to basically, their own society is going to basically commit suicide, they are at an extinction right. Uh, and so, you know, the idea of, of death to ghouls is different than it is to us. And to them, it's a, it's a natural process. It's, it's once the particular cycle has come to its end, naturally, you end the cycle. You, you, it's like turning off a light as far as they're concerned. Um, but essentially, that was just the mechanism by which, you know, I had my protagonists leave that society and then try to integrate into the, the human town they lived in. The idea behind uh, Skull Pocket was, um, I had this, just it was one of these things that started out with just an image, this image of three uh, ghoul children standing at a gate, looking down a hill at night at this splash of color, this uh, this uh, this uh, state fair or local carnival, um, kind of glowing in the twilight. And they're kind of yearning to go down there and experience it. And the kind of story grew out of that. And I very much wanted to kind of tell a story that was drew from a kind of Bradburyan sort of sort of uh, palette and kind of Charles Adams sort of feel to it, kind of have it whimsical but also to keep the sort of darkness and the violence and the, uh, well, the sense of horror really uh, that sometimes gets elided from those other things because the, the the idea was to kind of tell this this sort of heartwarming coming of age story but tell it as if it was told by a monster to monsters uh, without the same sorts of moral boundaries that human beings have. And so what it's is, is told as if it's a very fun and pleasant story, but to us it reads pretty grotesque and morbid because their, their ideas of what's right and wrong have no crossover with our own ideas.
0: Thank you so much, Nathan. Um, I want to talk about the next story, The Mall, which is probably my second favorite story in this book, and I think the Hellboy quote, um, again, had my mind in comics throughout this whole collection because I highlighted the word berserker um, but I think I got an almost Tim Burton meets Slender Man vibe out of this story uh, with the imagery specifically and I'm thinking about the surgeons uh, when I say that can you tell us who the surgeons are and where they come from
1: the surgeons are just I don't know much about them myself except what they the role in the story itself the surgeons are just uh, they are some sort of they're, they're agents of hell they, they come out of hell The mall is a story in which, basically, a great mall has Mm -hmm. uh, opened up and and transformed an entire neighborhood of a city, and uh, and the surgeons are stitching together um, remains of people in order to make essentially what is a a series of musical instruments.
0: I'll tell you one thing that jumped out at me about this story also is that I've been reading. A lot of strong dog characters lately, <laughs> and I include the dog in this story, in this group. I don't want to spoil anything for our listeners, Nathan. But can you tell us uh, about this dog and what role it plays in the mall?
1: The structure of the story is that there are uh, there's a gang of teenagers, essentially. Gang is a strong word. Just, there just there's there's a group of them. They kind of hire themselves out as guides to lead people into this transformed neighborhood to get things. That they feel an attachment to um people items whatever uh, and the story is about an old man who is uh who's hired one of these uh teenagers to lead him in there because his dog is in there his he was missing his he's lost his dog uh he thinks his dog has gone back to what used to be their home and so it's just another way to uh, explore the idea of uh, different ways love manifests, the kinds of things we do for it, and you know, the way a dog loves is probably the purest that we know on Earth. And, uh, yeah, I just, I, just wanted, I just wanted to tell a story about this old guy just trying to find his dog. Mm-hmm.
0: Thank you, Nathan. It's a great story indeed. All right, The Visible Filth, which has been adapted into a film, opens on a scene of two roaches mating on the lips of a liquor bottle in a dive bar, one of the strongest openings I've read in a long time. Uh, what was it like to see this story adapted into a film?
1: It was pretty surreal. It was uh, it was my first experience dealing with uh, anything like that. Uh, it felt like a bolt from the blue. Um, Babak Anvari was the writer-director of the movie. He was extremely um, open, generous with his time. He was interested in my input throughout the process of uh, writing the script. And uh, it was really great. It was a lot of fun. Uh, went down there to New Orleans with him and, and a couple of the producers uh, before they started shooting just to so, show them around uh, the places I had in mind when I was writing it. Um, yeah, it was, a very, it was a very cool experience.
0: Excellent. Thank you. I'm looking forward to seeing it myself. Um, Nathan, let's talk about the butcher's table where there's a dinner at the center of this story. Can you tell us about that?
1: This is the uh, this is the thing that's driving every all the characters in the story. Uh, what they want to do. There's a uh, this this story is kind of my uh, homage to Hammer horror films and uh, all that craziness. There are two cults of Satanists who uh, basically hire out a pirate ship to take them to the hell's shore. It sounds goofy as hell. And it probably is, but it's a uh, but it was a lot of fun to write. And uh, and the idea is that one of them, one of these. Uh, one of these cults wants to hold what they call the feast on the shore, uh, and uh, they hope that by doing so you know, the devil himself will manifest and be a guest at the table. Uh, everyone who is on the way, most of the story is about the journey there. The actual feast itself takes up the last maybe a quarter of the novella, but um, the characters, everyone on the journey has got a different motive. And so it's, it's just about how their own motives, how their own peculiar selfish instincts kind of uh, all come to a head at that feast thank you so much
0: finally i want to ask you about something that you said online in the context of watching the film midsummer you said horror is very personal and what's terrifying to one person is comedy to another can you talk about that a little bit
1: well i do i think you know it's 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 not an original observation to say that horror and comedy are 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 kind of close cousins and uh... And in the same way that, that certain strains of comedy will be uproarious to somebody and be tedious to somebody else, uh, uh, there are there are strains of horror that will be very effective and uh, and moving to somebody and just seem like a cheap trick to somebody else. Um, films like um, the *Midsummer*, for example, is uh, it gets and so did, as as did its predecessor *Hereditary*, they get very uh, polarized reactions from people. Um, and I think one of the reasons for this is that the, uh, the writer-director, Ari Oster, kind of is not afraid to, to approach the edge of the absurd uh, in order to uh, provoke strong emotion. And the closer you get to that edge, the more you risk alienating certain segments of the audience or the readership or what have you. Uh, on the flip side of that, the stronger the reaction is going to be for those for whom it's working. I don't know. It's, 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 a, it's something that, um, to to narcissistically bring it back to the book, uh, I think uh, it's something that I tried to do more in this book, uh, just to be, I mean, even as I talked about you know with you, it was like, oh, it's got pirates and gangs of Satanists and imps and jars, and it's like, that sounds, it's all kind of silly when you when you kind of say it just flat out. But I think what I wanted to, what I tried to do was, was take these over-the-top, almost circus-like ideas. Um, but treat the characters in them as seriously as I would have treated them if they were, uh, you know, if it was a story about you know, some d- domestic strife. Um, and just get as close as I could to the edge of the absurd while still honoring that, that you know, that that emotional truth. Just walk boldly into the absurd, walk up to its edge, and, and risk falling. Mm-hmm. Hope that you don't, but take the risk. I think the payoff is worth it. Thank you,
0: Nathan. And this book horrified me in all of the right ways. Um, Listeners, I hope you will pick up a copy of Wounds, Six Stories from the Border of Hell. A lot of the imagery in this book is going to stick with me for a very long time. We will have signed copies available in-store and online at www.quailridgebooks.com. I have been speaking with Nathan Ballengrude, author of Wounds, Six Stories from the Border of Hell, published by Saga Press, a division of Simon & Schuster. Nathan, thank you for joining me. Thank you so much. Once again, I would like to thank Nathan Ballengrude for joining me. Signed copies of his book, Wounds, Six Stories from the Border of Hell, can be purchased in-store at Quail Ridge Books and online at www.quailridgebooks.com, while supplies last. I would like to thank our sponsor, Libro.fm Audiobooks. Please go to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N, for Three months of audiobooks for the price of one. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this has been Bookin'.